Take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. You'll have to listen quickly this morning because we're already running short on time, and that's okay. Um, we did solve the mystery of the microphone, and uh, I figure I better tell you before somebody else does. We figured out that these things don't work very well when they're tucked into my shirt like this, and so we're going to go ahead and put it on the ear instead of in the pocket and see how it works for the rest of the time. You should know what kind of pastor you called. So, <laughs> oh well. All right, so let's pray and go home then after that. <laughs> Ravi Zacharias writes in one of his books of a story of a, oh, a young cowboy who was riding across the plains and uh, he was kind of bored and, you know, doing the normal riding across the thing, uh, the plains kind of thing for a cowboy. And he came across this old guy who was with a mule and looked like he'd probably been farming. And so the uh, young cowboy rode up to the guy with the mule and noticed that he was a bent over, stooped over old guy been you know weathered from living out on the plains just he and his mule out there and so uh the young cowboy said he decided he would have a little bit of fun and so he took out his six shooter and he said uh oh man you ever dance and so you know the old western movie so he just emptied his uh gun into the ground there and the old man was dancing around and that old young guy he thought that was hilarious and he's laughing and he didn't notice that the old guy reached into the saddlebag that he had with that uh, mule there and pulled out a shotgun. And he pointed it at that young cowboy who was not laughing now. Matter of fact, he's a little bit afraid. And the old guy said to him, Hey, young, young guy, you, uh, you ever kiss a mule? And the young guy, in all seriousness, said, No, sir, but I always wanted to. <laughs> I want you to think for just a few moments today about your motives in your relationships. We live in a time that is unlike many others, perhaps in, in a lot of different ways, but I think we're, we're living in a time where one thing we have in common with all of time, and that is, as people, the relationships that we have with other people tend to be polluted with our motives. I say that because that bottom line part of every one of us, our sin nature, which argues with us constantly for control. I will be my own God. I will be in charge. I don't want you telling me what to do. I don't want them telling me what to do. I certainly don't want God telling me what to do. I'll do what I think is right. That is our times, by the way. And the problem with that, among many other problems, is when it comes to our relationships, that means that we begin to use our relationships in ways that further our cause, but may not be for the best of the other people that are involved with us. And church people are not immune to this. As a matter of fact, I see this on a consistent basis through the years with church people. We use our relationships in a way to further our cause, regardless of what it might do to somebody else and regardless of what God might have to say about it. So we come to a, this next beatitude and our study of the eight statements by Jesus. Congratulations to, and then he gives us a condition, and then he gives us a promise attached, that's attached to that. And we're now on the one in Matthew 5, 8 that says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I've told you several things about the Beatitudes, one of which is they break very definitively into two halves. 
The first four of the eight Beatitudes deal with our relationship with God. The second four, and this is the second of the second four, deal with our relationships with other people. And I'll go on to say to you that if we don't have the first four right, our relationship with God, if we don't have that part right, then there's no way that our relationships with others are going to be right. So now Jesus says, congratulations to the one who is pure in heart. Because I don't have time to really break that down the way I normally would like to. Let me just give you a summary statement of what that means. The one who is pure in heart is one who is a, well, it was the title of this when it came up a minute ago, a square dealer and a straight shooter. You remember the commercial a few years ago for a bank in the state of Texas and they were you know, proud of the fact that they were locally owned and not part of the big conglomerate banks and all that kind of stuff. And they had this cut out of this one little kid dressed up in Western gear. And he says, I'm a square dealer and a straight shooter. Well, what does that mean for a bank? The better question is, what does that mean for a Christian? Pure in heart takes a Hebrew idiom, pure, and a Palestinian idiom, in heart, and it, or excuse me, that's just opposite. The Hebrew idiom is the in heart. The Palestinian is pure, and it pulls together. Now, I didn't even say that right. Here, I'm trying to pull it all down. Let me run it back. The Hebrew idiom, in other words, a way of saying something, is heart. It's the central part of who you are. Really, what you could do is boil it down and say, you. The one who is pure at the deepest levels. Then the Palestinian idiom idiom is in the second half, which is they shall see God. The picture there is one who has a conference, if you will, or an appointment with somebody who is of significant stature. If, for instance, I said to you, I've been called to Washington, D.C. to see the president. First of all, it ain't happening, okay? They don't know I'm alive, as far as I know. They don't care if I'm alive, I'm sure. Uh, And so I don't have one of these. But if I said to you, I received a communique from the White House, they want me to come to Washington to see the president, that's a way of saying I have an appointment to sit down face-to-face and communicate there. That's the Palestinian idiom here. To see God is to have this intimate discussion, this intimate investment, a mutual investment. So let's just put all of that together, summarize the whole thing that Jesus is saying here because of the time frame that we have. What he's saying is those people who are straight up in their dealings, in their motives, those are the ones who exhibit and will continue to exhibit an intimate fellowship with God. And Jesus says of that person... Congratulations, because you've found something about the Christian life that the average rank-and-file person doesn't get. Let me just break it down and put it right there where we live. Years ago, when I was coming out of high school, uh, I was working in the oil field. This was in late 1970s, early part of 1980. And uh, I decided that it was probably a good idea for me to go to college. I don't know why I decided that. I I didn't intend to go to class. Um, (laughs) That doesn't work very well, as some of you have figured out. But uh, So that's what I did. 
And so I took this introduction to computer programming class. This was before the days of, you know, personal computers at home and laptops and all that stuff. Computers were, you know, mainly business-oriented, and, and I figured, that's a good one. And so I decided to take intro to computer programming. They taught us a term relatively early because you had to give all these long commands in order to make it appear on the screen the way you wanted it to. And one of the developments was called WYSIWYG, W-Y-Z. Let me make sure I get this right. I'm, I'm a little bit challenged on spelling. W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G. What you see is what you get. Now, we take that for granted on a computer now. You call up a program, you hit a key, and you get what you want. Okay? wasn't always that way. What you see is what you get. That's this person that Jesus is talking about. Their motives are not polluted. As a matter of fact, being devious and deceptive just eats that person up. Because they're so committed to a face value, me and you, what you see is what you get kind of relationship, that they don't get this manipulation kind of... What Jesus is saying, let's just put it in today's terms. What Jesus is saying is... Congratulations to the person who is neither two-faced nor two-hearted. How do you see people? How is it that we fall into the trap of being two-faced or even two-hearted? Even like in church work. Case in point, this is a true story as far as I know. It's told as a true story, so I'll do the same. Uh, this preacher, a Baptist preacher, went to a church, went to serve this church out in the sticks. I mean, it was just like nearly nothing in that town. There was a Baptist church and a church of Christ and a few homes, and that's pretty much all there was. Well, on this particular day, he received a phone call from a a kid, a teenager in the town, and the pastor knew the name of the person, small community, they knew everybody, and he knew very well that that family were very active, matter of fact, key people in the Church of Christ just right across the road. So uh, he took this phone call, and this teenager said, Brother so-and-so, I wonder if you could come over to our house. My mom is really sick, and we would like for you to come pray for her. And the Baptist pastor said, well, of course I'll do that. I'd be happy to do that. Um, so uh, would you like me to come now? What so they set it up, and he was getting ready. He said, I got one question for you. Yeah, I know you all attend actively over at the Church of Christ, but why are you calling the Baptist pastor to come pray for your sick mother? Why wouldn't you call your own pastor? I know he's in town. I saw him earlier today. And the boy said, well, I'm talking to my dad, and he wanted me to call you because he doesn't want our pastor to catch what mom has. <laughs> now, the difference between the father and the son is the father would have never said that. Oh, he thought it, and he set up the appointment, but he never would have told the pastor, I just don't want my pastor, the guy I care about, to get sick. Now, that's a kind of an easy way for us to come to this issue of being double-faced or double-hearted. How do you deal with people? I figured out relatively early in my professional life that 
what people came at me with was not necessarily what they meant. About the same time that I was uh, failing out of computer class, I was working all day long. I was going to class at night when I went, and, uh, I, but working all day long, and in relatively short order, I worked for this uh, pump and compressor company, um, service and sales, and uh, I worked my way into a position by the time I was late 19, almost 20 years old, where I was managing the shipping and receiving department. So I had a couple of guys that worked underneath me, and I was deciding uh, if we were going to send some stuff out or we were going to order some stuff in, which carrier we were going to use. And uh, oilfield was blowing and going in those days, and so everything was, you know, go, go, go. And I was rising up, and I loved this job. And, and I found out that I had lots of friends that I didn't know anything about. And one of them, and I could tell you the name of the company now, I won't do it, but I couldn't ever tell you the guy's name, but I know which company it was because they gave great gifts to guys who manage shipping and receiving departments. And this guy started calling me, and he started coming by. Every time he came by, he had something to give me, take me out to lunch. Now, for me, I was, you know, 19, 20 years old. I was eating whatever fast food stuff I could get my hands on. Well, this guy said, hey, you want to go to lunch? Sure, I eat lunch every day. Let's go. So he'd take me not to Burger King, but to Steak Place. And I was going, this is awesome. This guy's a great guy. And that worked out really well until I decided to use a different company to ship stuff from with. Now, what do you think this guy did to me? He didn't have any use for me anymore. When I stopped giving him what he wanted, then I dropped off of the map. You know people like that in life? We're about to enter into a period of time in our nation called the election season. I gotta, I'm gotta. i going to just be straight up honest with you. I'm always going to do that. Okay. Sometimes I'll tell you more than you want to know about me. This might be one of those times. As a rule, when I hear political stuff on television from the big shot, you know, the president, candidates, and all of those kind of things, when I hear that, my first thought is, how much of that is true and how much of it is a sales pitch? Now, I might be dead wrong about that. And if, I, you know, I'm not being political here. I don't like any of them, okay? So I'm not endorsing one and not another one. But for me, the deal is when I hear that kind of stuff out there, I think to myself, I'm getting a sell job here. Can I trust what I'm hearing? Jesus is talking about the people here, the Christ followers, the ones who are disciples of his. They will be marked by a, a real ability and commitment to what you see is what you get. You don't have to wonder what they mean when they say something. You don't have to question their motives behind what's going on. It's just straight up, what you see is what you get. How is it for you? Are you that kind of a person? Do people have to wonder what's going on when you're talking or when you're acting? You see the deal here. This comes from Psalm 24, verses 4 through 6. I asked Spencer to put that up for us here. Let's look at this. Verse 3. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Now listen, see if this sounds familiar. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false 
and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. What Jesus is saying, pulling from Psalm 24, is this simple truth. When you are marked by an intimate fellowship with God, your relationships with other people will be straight up. There won't be that tendency to use them to get ahead. There won't be that tendency to have to talk around them. You can just be straight up, pure in heart. That's quite a thing in this day and age, I think. As a matter of fact, for us to live at that level, Jesus is not telling us to do it, by the way. He's just describing the people who do it. Those who are marked by being pure in heart, those are the people who give evidence and will continue to give evidence of a deeper walk with God. So just do a little bit of self-inspection here. How deep would you say your walk with God is? Is it a walk where you can say, you know what, every day His mercies are new. I find myself on a day-in and day-out basis going deeper with God, understanding more of His purpose in this world. Or, as many churches are full of people, is it one of those that is kind of just a churchianity kind of thing? It's like, okay, I know the right answers and I can see all of that stuff. And by the way, in doing that, I have some real questions about X number of people sitting out in the congregation. I'll submit this to you and we'll be done. As we move forward and step out into this community, and we've had several different examples today of how we do that as a church and how we'll continue to do it, that as we step out into this community with the good news of Jesus Christ, this community needs to know that what they see with us is genuine. They don't need to see another church doing the flavor of the day evangelism technique what they need to see is God's people deeply in love with God stepping out because of God's love for us as it translates to them and they can trust who we are that's critical we don't have to go kind of figuring out and manipulating we just be who we are and watch God use that in their lives are you that kind of person today What you see is what you get. Let's pray. Father, we come at this time recognizing that not a single one of us gets off the hook here. Sin is so much a part of our lives. Even those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and our life is new because of what you've done for us, we still fight that sin nature. And by definition, we want to push ourselves forward, even if it's at the expense of other people. Father, help us to be people of integrity, people who walk with you. And as we draw close to you, you in turn help us to see other people like you do. We invest ourselves in them for your glory, just as you have done. We pray these things in Jesus' name.